Between lightning and thunder, three seconds the gap. A warm candle glow keeps this wood room from black. My cat, she sleeps on an old clipping mat, purring out echoes of faint pitter pat. Hello, welcome to the Perennial Porridge Pot. Podcast Episode 7. I'm your presenter, Roger Meacham. The Perennial Porridge Pot has contributions both from those native to Scotland and those who, like myself, have come to live here. Wherever you are in the world, you may hear something that speaks to you, not only because Scotland has made connections with every corner of the planet, but because the contributors are from every corner of the planet. Today's podcast is set in West Africa. We're going to hear Martin Walsh reading the first half of Paga, a chapter in his novella Fragments from a Journey. The full episode is to be found on the Lementary Writers website on the page for this, the seventh podcast. This is Martin reading in the voice of one of his characters, Carrie. Me and Ben are in the back of Rob's landlord. We're rattling north towards Upper Volta. Soon be clear out of Ghana. Emmett's up front at the wheel with Rob, most probably squabbling. Sometimes I wonder how I got myself hitched up to such a contrary guy. Anyhow, it's fine and peaceful here with Ben. He's so easy to get on with him kind of cute. We're side by side, the Michelin map over our knees. According to it, the road we're on is a main highway, transcontinental, but it ain't hardly wide enough for a car to overtake. It's kind of groove like a creek rippled by a breeze. I guess that's why the tires are growling so much. I just love watching the passing country and Mr. Michelin sure knows how to make a map. The coastal forests, the big green swathe on the map stretching from Sierra Leone through Liberia, Côte d'Ivoire to Ghana, are behind us now. We're into the white zone. That means savannah. Through the dusty tailgate, I clean it most every night, but the red powder just drifts right on back. We watch the long terracotta ribbon of highway roll back to the horizon. It's kind of hypnotic. Endless prairies of high, sun-bleached grasses. Why, we could be in Montana, except it ain't so darn hot there. Emmett has his cowboy hat pulled low over his brow. I swear if I didn't nag him now and then, it would never leave his head at all, not even in bed. His scrawny arm juts out of the window like he's a G.I. in one of those war movies. Every now and then we catch the odd bar or two of humming above the engine noise. Ben makes a face like he's in pain and covers his ears. 
have had to live with that tuneless Scottish racket for 12 whole months. Me, I don't understand all this English-Scottish stuff. They pretend, Ben and Rob, to hate each other, but all I see are two mighty good buddies. I fretted about this journey before we set out. Me and three men cooped up together for Lord knows how long in Rob's truck. It was kind of scary. Emmett ain't an easy man to get along with. He's on such a short fuse. With Ben, I soon stopped worrying. He never rises to Emmett's bait, just grins and lets it run over him. But with Rob, Emmett never lets up about how much better it would have been in his jeep. He's like a dog with a bone. We got the windows open back here. We ain't got a lot of choice, what with all the gas we're carrying. Nearly 80 gallons in two tanks between us and the drivers. Rob and Emmett drilled little holes in the top to relieve the pressure from all this heat. You just can't ever get away from the fumes and it sure ain't my favourite perfume. Emmett says we're like a rolling bomb, but according to Rob, we don't have no choice, given the distances between gas stations. Rob has a kind of quaint way of speaking. This old girl guzzles fuel like an alcoholic on a bender. That's what he said, or something like that, back in Freedown. And Rob should know, Ben responded, winking at me him being a Scot. Before we left, Ben had clowned the part of a fuel vendor in the middle of the Sahara. He put on his tough guy face, which was funny because he's one of the softest guys I've met. Vous n'aimez pas le prix? You don't like the price? He shrugged his shoulders. Cela ne m'est égal, mon ami. It's all the same to me, pal. Le prochain gasoline, he pointed, vaguely north, 500 kilometers. So Rob rigged up these massive tanks. He said something like, Nay bloody Touareg's gonna hold us over a barrel. As for the fumes, you kind of got used to them. Suddenly we're braking, Ben's pointing up the highway, on the, on the road ahead. It's a grey heap of corrugated metal like an oaky shack on wheels. Smoke's belching from under the hood. A young woman is peering into the space behind the smoke. What on earth is that? I ask Ben. Ain't never seen one of them before. That's a Citroën Dorshevo, he laughs. Probably full of baguette. I'm looking at him puzzled. He's miming something in the air. French loaves, he says. By the time we're out of the Land Rover, Rob and Emmett are already asking the young woman if she needs help. In the fruitiest voice you ever heard, she says, Oh, heavens no, this happens all the time, ever since we left Dover. I'll have her fixed in a jiffy, but thanks anyhow. I'm Samantha, by the way. By now I'm introducing myself to Samantha's guy. Emmett looks at Samantha. He's got that wicked look in his eye, and before I can stop him, he's jerking his thumb towards the fellow. What about him? Don't he do no fixing? 
Dicky. Oh, lummy, no, he's useless with motors, but he's a real whiz at the money markets. Dicky says, did, did, did you know the p -p pound just devalued? What about the dollar? Emmett asks. Stronger than ever. Thank goodness Sam and I bought the dollar traveller's checks. Emma's got that smug look in his eyes. He just can't stop himself. So what I tell you guys, he's looking at Rob. Dollar beats the pound every goddamn time. Then he turns to Dickie. So where are you two headed? South Africa. Emmett looks like I feel incredulous in that. Waving away the last wisps of smoke with his hat, he's peering under the hood. You call that an engine? And I gotta say, even to my untrained eye, that looks mighty insubstantial. Samantha ain't the slightest bit put out. We crossed India north to south last year in this old girl. Emmett's shaking his head again. All he can say is, God damn it. Samantha continues, You know, the worst thing about leaving London when we did was that it was just so, just so whizzy. Whizzy? I ask. How do you mean, whizzy? Oh, I don't know. Samantha is waving her oil-stained hands. All those parties, the music, the flower people, the rolling stones, the free love. Free love? Rob is in quick. Oh yes, lots and lots of it. That's why everyone's calling it the summer of love. See what you guys been missing? Emmett's at it again before returning his gaze to Sam. What about Vietnam? We kind of lost touch these last weeks. No, not by scene, I'm afraid. You'll have to ask Dickie. Dickie stutters to life. No, no, not good, I'm, af I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. No sign of an end to it. More slaughter every day. You should never have invaded in the first place. Too damn right. Emmett's fingering his chin, looking pen suddenly pensive. I don't know if the others know what he's thinking, but I sure do. He's wondering if he'll be drafted. Ben's looking kind of dreamy. A dime for him, I say. He looks puzzled, then smiles. Oh, you mean a penny? He pauses, looking distant again. I was just thinking of home, London pubs, roasting chestnuts, home cooking, Slipping between crisp white sheets, girls in miniskirts. I try not to frown at this last remark, but Samantha's voice breaks in. How's the road to Marley? Emmett made a sweeping gesture with his arm, pointing along the road from one horizon to the other. Same old, same old, rattling bones all the way. How about the frontier up ahead? No problem, Samantha says as she opens the door. But if you like crocodiles, you simply must stop at Paga. Thanks, Martin. You ended 
with Samantha, the surreal character that the narrator in your tale meets beside a broken-down tiny citron on the edge of the savannah. This character, Samantha, encourages the other travellers to stop at Paca, a place they'd never even heard of. Now, I hope that listeners will read the rest of this chapter for themselves and meet those ancestor crocodiles. But could we begin, Martin, by hearing a little more about this collection of your tales? I've written um, a collection of stories, anecdotes, travellers, tales and vignettes. It's it's a kind of weird mixture, um, mainly non-fiction. With regard to the journey, the journey is from Sierra Leone back to Britain, and I've written seven episodes. It's called Fragments from a Journey, and they're, they're meant to be kind of self-contained uh, stories. And the the same four characters are in each of them. And what I've done is I've got one story by each of the four travellers and the the other three are are in the voice of a narrator. Martin, you tell me that you don't always need to imagine colourful characters. You can recall people you've met, like Samantha, who you found on the edge of the savannah in a tiny car designed for city travel. Tell me about Emmett and Long Rob, two of the occupants of that trundling Land Rover. The guy, uh, Long Rob, who put the Land Rover together from three old um, dead Land Rovers, basically. I mean, he, I think underneath the surface, he was worried all the time because he was responsible. And if the thing broke down, particularly in the Sahara, we could have been in trouble and the american guy emmett um he'd wanted to do the same trip but in his his own jeep and so there was a constant um friction between the two of them um which was quite funny martin you've told me that for your writing you mine your experiences your early work in vso as a fishery officer in africa and then as a marine biologist in Aberdeen. You have a very good recall of voices, you say. So could you give me an example or two of the way in which you've used your past experiences to help with your writing? I get inspired by strange things or or funny bits of conversation or incidents, and they fill my head. Uh, so, I mean, for example, I, I've written a story called La Casa del Bacalao, and and it's it's a novella, really. It's quite long, and it was entirely inspired by finding a fish shop in Zaragoza in the middle of Spain, which sold nothing but dry and smoked cod, and they don't even have cod in in spanish waters and it was it was an immaculate shop in a street full of chocolatiers and and uh, high quality couture and so on so as soon as i saw that shop it it just set me going that's that's a good inspiration sometimes i have to work and work at it so it, it's a mixture of both but i'm certainly not as disciplined as i would like to be and i don't carry 
I do carry a notebook, but I hardly ever use it. Finally, Martin, uh, back to Paga. This is part of a collection of travel writing. You are just completing this, I believe? I finished the collection. The, the collection is actually called The Girl with the Cool Hands. That's the that's precedes this journey home across the um, Sahara. Um, I have finished it. I've just got a postscript to write. And then um, I have to try and get it published, whether... It it's it doesn't fit very neatly into any particular genre, so I suspect it'll probably have to be self-published, but I should try a few publishers um, before. Martin, thanks for this. Now, before I let you go, I try to include in each podcast something about Scotland, some quick fact or tale that would reveal to a listener from outside Scotland just a little more about the place. You, like me, arrived here from England. My first experience of Scotland was the Outer Hebrides. I thought, and forgive the cliché, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. What about your experience of Scotland? And it's funny you saying that about the Outer Hebrides because we have some um, French friends who we're very close to. They're from Brittany and... um, we went on a holiday with them over to the West Coast and the lady who's called Christiane, when we came round a bend in the road, she just said, Oh la la, oh la la, oh la la. She she awarded the scenery a triple a triple oh la la, which um I guess is something like three stars for a for a restaurant. <laughs>